Welcome uh, to worship. Uh, good morning to those of you who are here in Asbury Hall. Good morning to those of you who are online with us this morning. We want to welcome you to worship, especially if this is your first time with us this morning. We are so glad that you are here. We are, um, we are in a season of what's called Lent. Uh, Lent is a season of preparation between Ash Wednesday and Easter, uh, which, of course, we're looking forward to on next week. And today is what the church, uh, Christian church has called uh, Palm Sunday. And so this is the day that for centuries, the Sunday before Easter has been the day that for centuries, uh, Christians have celebrated Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. And we'll talk about what that means in, in a little bit, but, but I want you to know that, you know, the thing that we are doing is participating in, in a long, long tradition. This is not something we just made up last week or, or today, that this is something that is a, we are in a long tradition of a faith family this morning as we celebrate Palm Sunday with the Church Universal. And, and we are so glad that we get to do it together. We are also in a sermon series. Throughout Lent, we've been in this sermon series about calling, how to, how to discover our purpose. And so we've been using this as kind of a time of refinement, a, a time to better understand who we are and, who, and how we are called by God. I want to let you know something this morning, regardless of what you believe, Regardless of what you may think you know about God, you are called by God. God has a plan for you and for your life. The only question is, how will we respond? And so we've been learning uh, for the last several weeks about how to hear this call of God, how to, how to listen for the voice of God. And this week we talk about the actual doing of it. This week we talk about actually putting it into action because uh, this week we talk about obedience. Obedience. This is, uh, this is a word that maybe we don't necessarily like, uh, but is an important part of our calling. Uh, you know, I've been in ministry now for uh, over 10 years as a pastor. And, and the thing about my ministry is that I, I've served uh, what, like four churches now. Is that right? I'm looking at my wife, Melissa. Four churches? I don't know. Anyways, uh, I, I, I've served uh, some churches in, in my past, and, um, and I've always been an associate pastor. And I've really enjoyed that role. I love working on a team. I, I, I love collaborating. I love doing all of these things. So I've, I've always been an, an, an associate pastor. And as an associate pastor, you have to learn a little bit something about obedience, right? I, I, about receiving a vision from the senior pastor and, and putting that into action. And so I've learned some things about working under people. I've learned some things about obedience. Maybe you've experienced this as well. Uh, maybe you've worked for other people or are working for someone else right now. And, and you know a little bit about what obedience means. Or maybe you learned it in your childhood. Whatever the case, we've all kind of known the importance of obedience. But, but you know, it's something we don't necessarily like. You know, obedience is sometimes abused, is sometimes abused. And so we hear about these kind of awful relationships, you know, in, in, in which maybe one spouse or, or one person in the relationship says, you know, you just need to be obedient to me. You know, you, you just need to obey me. And, of course, that's an abusive that's an abuse of obedience and not what we're talking about this morning. If you find yourself in that relationship, you, you need to remove yourself from that situation. So sometimes obedience is abused. Rarely is obedience celebrated, 
right? The, the stories we celebrate, um, the, the stories we read news articles about, the, the stories we, you know, we watch in movies are not the stories of obedience. You know, they're not, oh, I'm, you know, can you believe that this person was so obedient? They did exactly what they were told. No, many times we, especially as Westerners, want to celebrate the, you know, being unique, being an individual, being, being, you know, going out on their own, doing their own thing. These are the stories that we celebrate. But as people of faith, I think we need to learn something about obedience. And, and, and here's why. That God uses small acts of obedience to make the largest impact. And this is why we as people of faith, I think, need to learn something about obedience because God uses small acts of obedience to make the largest impact. You know, many times we want to make a grand gesture to God. You know, if you've ever prayed those kind of like Hail Mary prayers, those things where you get a tight spot and you're like, God, if you'll just give me this, I'll, I'll do whatever you need. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to church every week. I'll, I'll pray every day. I'll, I'll read, you know, my entire Bible tomorrow. You know, we want to make these grand gestures. And, and you know, I think that there's some good intent in those. What we find throughout Scripture is God using these small acts of obedience over a long period of time to make the largest impact. And, and really, any character we find in the Bible really exemplifies this really well. I mean, any, any character that we highlight throughout the Bible, it, it really, you know, is a great example of obedience. But this morning, we're going to talk about a, a passage, again, within the church history, uh, the Palm Sunday Road. And we read about the kind of actions that led to this it is with Jesus and his disciples. And, and this is the last time that Jesus will enter Jerusalem before he, he is arrested, before he is crucified, before his resurrection. This is the last time that Jesus will enter Jerusalem. And before all this happens, we read about this in, in Mark chapter 11. I encourage you to engage with your Bible this morning. If, if you're at home, I encourage you to grab your Bible or maybe it's on your phone. However you use your Bible this morning, I encourage you to do that. Again, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. It's in the New Testament, kind of the later half of the Bible. And, um, and, uh, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. Mark, the gospel writer says that when they, the disciples, were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, Jesus, or he, sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here immediately. Uh, so, so this is the story of the leading up to the entry into Jerusalem, Jesus takes two of his disciples and he sends him in to, uh, ahead of him to Jerusalem and says, there you will find a, a colt. Um, or uh, Matthew, the gospel writer, says a donkey. That's why some of our kids have donkey ears on right now. Um, that uh, in there, you, in the town, you will find um, a colt or a donkey. Um, begin to untie it. Just start to take it. And if somebody asks you, Jesus kind of gives them this code to say, right? This like password. If anybody asks you, why are you doing this? Just say, the Lord needs it and we'll return it immediately. I, I wonder if, you know, Jesus knew the kind of heat that was on the disciples. If Jesus knew uh, that there were people looking for him, that were waiting for him. And, and so maybe he arranged this beforehand that somebody would have this animal for him so that he could ride it into Jerusalem. And he says, here's the kind of agreement that we've shared that when you get the animal, say, the Lord needs it. And he sends, Jesus sends two of his disciples in. 
And, and we know a little bit about, the, about what it meant to be a disciple. And if you don't, you know, like, to, to be a disciple of a rabbi, which Jesus was, was a big deal. You know, and typically you were chosen very early. You, you were chosen um, between 10 and 13 years old. As a young boy, when you were studying scripture, some people, some kids would show, you, you know, this kind of excellence in, in the study of scripture. And so they would be chosen by a rabbi to be a disciple, to be a follower. And there were many rabbis that had followers. And that's not who Jesus chose. Right? Jesus goes and finds people who already had jobs, which meant that they weren't good enough to be a disciple. You know, they had to go and they had to work like everyone else. And so Jesus goes and he finds fishermen, he finds tax collectors, he finds people who are already doing jobs. And he says, come and follow me. And this was a big deal. And so, of course, they just left everything and went to follow this teacher because this was a huge honor to follow a rabbi. And so for three years, they followed Jesus. Three years, these disciples, and this, be, I imagine, kind of came like an entourage. You know, because we read in Scripture that when Jesus walked into town, people knew. You know, and, and like you were with Jesus. Like if you were a disciple, you were with Jesus. And so you are with the, the person that everybody knows when he walks into town. You're like with this entourage. You're in the inner circle. This is a huge deal. And so they've been doing this for three years, this huge honor that they've had as they walked and they did ministry and they performed miracles and they did all these things with Jesus. And they're about to enter Jerusalem for the Passover. They're about to do these things. And Jesus turns to two of the disciples and he sends them to go get the donkey. Go get the horse. I imagine that was, you know, like of the lists that, that, of the things that Jesus asked them to do, this was like lower at the list. You know, Jesus asked them to like cast out demons. Jesus asked them to like pass out the food that fed the 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fish, right? Like Jesus asked them to do a lot of great things. And here he takes these two disciples. He says, go get the donkey. Go get the horse. And then the two disciples now have to leave. The rest of the disciples get to stay with Jesus. They're like on the Mount of Olives. They, they get to learn from Jesus. They get to ask Jesus questions. They get to do all these things. And these two disciples have to go and get this horse, give them this strange code and come back. But they did it. These two disciples, they left and they went and they got the animal and they brought it back to Jesus. And because they did, Jesus was able to enter Jerusalem. We read about this again in Mark 11. Now we're in verse, verse 4. That the two disciples went away and found a colt, or Matthew says a donkey, tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, the Lord needs it. And we'll bring it back um, immediately. And they allowed them to take it. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it. And Jesus sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches or palms and they had cut from the fields. And then those who went ahead and those who were followed shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So these two disciples, they go and they get this cold and they bring it back to Jesus and, and they throw cloaks. Uh, their, their, their robes over it so that Jesus can sit on it. He doesn't have to sit directly on the animal. And as Jesus begins to enter Jerusalem, people start taking off their clothes and throwing them before the, this donkey, before this colt, so that it doesn't have to walk on the dirt. And, and they run out of clothes. And so they start to spread palm branches and anything that they can find. They, they spread it on the ground before this animal. As Jesus enters Jerusalem and they begin to shout Hosanna, this parade happens leading up to Passover. 
as Jesus enters from the Mount of Olives, and this is important that we know that Jesus entered from the Mount of Olives because we know that Jesus, if he was coming from the Mount of Olives, would have entered into the East Gate in Jerusalem. And that's important because on the other side of Jerusalem, through the West Gate, there was a different kind of parade happening. Pontius Pilate, who we'll read about when it comes to the crucifixion of Jesus, will play a role in the trial of Jesus. He is entering Jerusalem around this same time. Pontius Pilate is a representative of Rome. He he is a tetrarch of this province. He's not Jewish. He, He represents the Roman government, the Roman military. And every year at Passover, Pontius Pilate would enter through the west gate into Jerusalem. And it wouldn't just be Pontius Pilate. But it would be Pontius Pilate with with the full force of the Roman military. You could hear him coming from miles because of the the stomp of the Roman military as they prepared to enter Jerusalem. And, And Pontius Pilate would enter into the west gate with this huge show of force. Why? Because Passover was the day that the Hebrews celebrated the day that they were liberated from slavery in Egypt. And the Roman government said, you can be allowed this religion. You you can still participate as a Hebrew people. You can still, and you can even still have these holy days in which you celebrate this thing that happened long ago. But lest you get any bright ideas, just so you don't get, get smart and think that you could do this again, let us show you and remind you of who we are. And so there would be this parade as Pontius Pilate entered Jerusalem through the west gate with the full force of the Roman military, and at that same time, Jesus came in through the east gate. And this organic grassroots parade started to happen. And people started to celebrate a new king. And they started to shout, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is his coming kingdom. All of this happened because two disciples... All of this happened. This grand parade for Jesus happened that rivaled the parade of Pontius Pilate, the Roman Tetrarch, all this military force. This whole parade happened for Jesus because two disciples, in this small act of obedience, went and got a horse. And we learned that God uses these small acts of obedience to make the largest impact. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, what can you give me? What what, what small thing can you hand over? And Jesus multiplies that sacrifice and makes the largest impact. And so there there are three things I hope that we will know about obedience as we come to this passage. And and, and I just want to, again, acknowledge, I know that obedience has been abused. And again, if you are in a relationship, maybe it's Maybe it's a work um, situation or or maybe it's even in your home or or whatever the case. If you're in a situation in which your obedience is being abused, in which you're told to just be obedient, blindly obedient, that's that's not what we're talking about, right? I mean, like we need to remove ourselves from those situations. 
But as people of faith, I, I think we need to pray about how we can be obedient in a, in a helpful and healthy way. And here are three things that I hope we will know about obedience. The first thing is this, that obedience is freely given through love. Whether it's in a relationship with other people or, or if it's in our relationship to God, obedience is freely given through love. Obedience is not given through fear. And there is this mutual act of submission that happens, right? Those who are in marriages know about this mutual act of submission that, that, that you know, we often say, you know, like relationships are 50-50. And, and if you've been in a marriage at any time, you know that it is not at any given point 50-50, that at some point somebody is giving 20 while the other is giving 80 and then that flips and it goes to the other person, you know, that there's this mutual act of submission that happens and in that is the most healthy form of obedience. And the same is true with us and God. We, we learn about the obedience of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 says that, that Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. Jesus submitted himself so that we can freely be obedient to Jesus. Jesus says, look, I did this. I went before you. I paved the way so that you can do it as well. And so as we listen for God, we have the opportunity to be obedient through love, not out of fear, shame, or guilt. So the first thing I hope we know is that obedience is freely given through love. The second thing is this, that being obedient means being responsible for action, not outcomes. This is one of the most freeing things for me personally as an associate pastor and, 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 and in my role as my, uh, my work. And I hope that this will be freeing for you as well, even for us as people of faith, that, that we are asked to be obedient in our action, not in the outcome. We can't control the outcome. You know, there have been times whenever my senior pastor or my boss has asked me to do things. And, and you know, and, and I maybe haven't thought that that was the best thing to do. But I've been obedient to the action. I've done the thing and I've done it as well as I could have done it, right? This is not like a passive aggression thing where we, where we do it just kind of halfway and then when it fails, we say, see, I told you so. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about being obedient to the action, not the outcome. That God will ask us to act. God is going to ask us to do something. And our only obligation, our only opportunity is to simply do the thing. Not to try to force the outcome that we think ought to happen, happen. Being obedient means being responsible for action, not outcome. Is the second thing I hope we will know. The third thing is this, that obedience is best displayed through small acts of service. Eugene Peterson calls faith a, a long obedience in the same direction. I love that, a long obedience in the same direction. You know, and many times we want to make faith this kind of like grand gesture. We, we want these like, you know, these big moments of warm fuzzies. And every once in a while we get those and those are great. But, but what faith really is, is a long obedience in the same direction. That obedience is best displayed through small acts of service. The disciples did small things in their acts of obedience to Jesus. They even went and got this animal and brought it to Jesus. When all the other disciples got to stay on the Mount of Olives with Jesus as his time was ending. They, they had to go and do this thing. And because they did that, Jesus was able to enter into Jerusalem with this parade that rivaled that of Pontius Pilate. What is your small act of service? What is your small act of obedience? How might God be inviting you to be obedient this morning? Is there a 
small thing that God is asking of you. Maybe it's about prayer. Maybe, maybe God is inviting you to create just kind of this, this, this routine of prayer in your life. Maybe it's about reaching out to your neighbor who, who, who lives closest to you and, and just checking on them. How might God be inviting you into a small way of obedience this morning? And that's what I hope you'll do this morning. I hope that you will practice small acts of obedience. You know, many times we, we want to make our, our, our faith this kind of unique experience, and, and that is true. God has a unique relationship with you. But I believe it would be more powerful than simply several different unique relationships as a community of people that are obedient to the singular voice of God. And that's what I pray for us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that, that you have called us, regardless of who we are, God, that you have a calling on our life, that you said that we are good enough to be trusted with your kingdom come, good enough to be trust, trusted with your gospel message, with your message of good news for the world, for our friends, for our family, for our neighbors. God, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would practice some kind of small act of obedience. And God, I, I pray that you would bring that thing from the from the back of our minds, maybe it started to come up as, as, as we were sitting here this morning and, and we kind of pushed it back, hoping that that wasn't it. And God, I pray that you would bring it back. God, I pray that as we leave here, that it would be glaring the thing that you are asking us to do this morning. And if not glaring at this moment, God, I pray that we would meditate on it that it would be a still small voice that continues to speak to us even as we go to bed tonight. God, that, that that whisper would become a shout. God, we are your servants. We, we want to do your will. And we pray that this would happen not only in these big, grand gestures, but God, a long obedience in the same direction. One faithful step every day for the rest of our lives. God, we thank you that you modeled this in Jesus Christ who was obedient even to the point of death. We thank you for his life, his ministry, and that he taught us to pray even when we didn't have the words to say. He said to pray this, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.